And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Hello, I'm Dan Diori along with Ethan Wise. Green Thumb heard every Saturday at 7 o'clock. And now we're into the July 4th weekend. Let's take back the garden. Let's take back the yard. <laughs> we're taking it back. Yeah, the weeds all... are still here and they keep coming. This is a good weeding uh, weekend. The ground's perfectly uh, workable right yeah, now. Get, yeah. get, pull your weeds out, mm-hmm. uh, add things to your garden. There's yep. probably still a lot of moisture in a lot of people. People's garden, so mm-hmm. great for planting. Uh, you know, a lot of people start to get kind of weary of planting this late into the season. No. But no, yeah, you can keep gardening, keep yeah. going all summer long. You know, and if and if you're like, I got a hole here, a hole here. We've gone over so many different things. That bee balm, I can't wait to put that in. I it's love just gorgeous. gorgeous. It is. And you, you got some other things. You got um, uh, you got one of those pink flocks. Yep. Uh, really nice pink flocks that'll get kind of tall, mm-hmm. um, which also kind of ties into what we're going to talk about today cut yep. flowers yeah um and then uh my gosh what was the other it was it was those that coreopsis that right. that round head coreopsis and i'm totally drawing a blank on it but it looked like a marigold flower almost exactly. this really ruffled flower and that's head. Go in the middle and i got some things around it it's so. gonna look really yeah, I can't nice wait. and i need to find a spot because you still have lemongrass yes to have for that so uh yeah the, this is still a time and then <laughs> and and then if you have and look, you could plant late into the summer if, well, for instance, for me, I still have uh, one area that I got to go through and weed. That's going to be my project for the next two weeks. Get everything out, see what I like, see what I don't like, and then plant there. And I could do that all season. So yeah, especially yeah. something for fall color. We talked about the things that give us fall color. Yeah, we talked about uh, burning bush. Um, there's uh, there's another plant I failed to mention uh, last time called sweet spire, mm-hmm. which is another phenomenal. I'd say it gives burning bush a run for its money for fall color. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we, that we we talked about was it's not just the leaf turning that constitutes as fall color. There's plants that you can get in your garden that'll keep flowering all the way until frost. Um, hydrangeas will flower until frost, many varieties of them. Uh, certain roses will flower till that. Uh, and then some of the our, our plants that I brought in today, like Russian sage, um, which is in the mint family as well, will also flower until frost. Um, and a bluebeard or caryopteris, which is just an Awesome. I, I'm a fan of it. Uh, don't put it in wet areas, but if you have a dry, sunny spot, this plant tends to not start to flower until July and then can flower through September, October. See, that's what we look for. And we always mention my favorite, which is sedum. Yes. Uh, oh, which, oh, yeah, by the, the way, spreads pretty well. Yes. Oh, yeah. And there, and. Which is so fun when we were you were at the um, you were at hair nursery and I showed you that ground cover one too mm-hmm. that's real low but then gets these bright yellow flowers on it but then you can get the the traditional ones that have the big pink broccoli head flowers oh, on I them and they're, love they're, those. they're like a pink purple almost mm-hmm. like a deep pink and those are wonderful in fall because uh, what happens for a lot of us is we get the spring color while we're weeding then we get the summer color with my hostas by the way my hostas are just blooming yes yeah yeah oh god they I have just all just popped up within a bright week purple oh i love it yeah they all popped up in about a week and uh but now i'm looking around going okay where's my fall color coming from but that'll be my sedum so i may have to go fill in to see what else yeah so, yeah you're just gonna have to buy more sedum yeah. he's gonna have a whole garden bed of sedum <laughs> oh that wouldn't be all bad <laughs> no it wouldn't be no. especially with all the different textures you can get yeah. with them um, within that genus all right um as far as our tomatoes and uh, all our vegetables are you seeing any pests this year especially more than others no no not really and and uh Knock on wood, I haven't seen Japanese beetles yet. Yeah. Um, 
But although uh, you take preventions, though, right? Well, there's there's things you can do, like nematodes, uh, putting those in the ground. Did you um, do it? I, I did not, but I don't have anything in my garden really that attracts them. Okay, so they don't tend to flock to me mm-hmm. um, too much, uh, luckily, and, and so I never really saw them in my house. Um, more often than not, I tend to just see them at hair nursery. But then right. again, we got a buffet for them. Yeah. So, uh, but we don't really tend to spray uh, at all. If we absolutely have to, we're not going to we're knocking them into like uh, soapy buckets or something like that so right. that we're not spraying harsh chemicals. What about um, aphids? Don't they attack a lot of tomatoes? They can. That is something we are always battling, especially in spring. Any garden center, any nursery is having to deal with those bugs. They are a nightmare, uh, and we have to. We sometimes have to quarantine plants mm-hmm. uh, and stay after hours to spray because we don't want to spray during hours, uh, and it's you know part of the business. But yeah. right now... You're not you know, seeing many on your tomato plants? In the I world? have not seen any on my tomato plants, luckily. Mm-hmm. Uh, my garden's looking pretty good. What I have noticed, though, are, is the start of some fungus, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some powdery mildew, on my squash, mm-hmm. um, and that's spread to some of my other plants, and that's just because it's it's too full. I ha- I planted one. I tried to plant less together this year, but I planted too many things close together again. But the nice thing is, is powdery mildew is easy to treat. Pretty much any over the counter fungicide is going to address it, mm-hmm. but address it. Uh, it's that's that white or grayish <laughs> film that can be on the leaf. You know, I um, tried to grow cabbage one year, yeah. and I went in to check it, and I opened it up, and it was just full of... Um, like little bugs or something, like yeah. a larva? Larva. Just chewing away at... Oh, yeah. gross. So some sort of uh, caterpillar or worm of some sort. Right. Or you, slug, or I don't know what it was, but... How do you prevent that when you put cabbage in? Is there something you can put in around the cabbage to prevent that? Yes. Besides cheap beer? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Although that's not a bad thing when we talk about PBR working. Yeah. Um, So one thing I recommend is, is Sluggo. Um, Sluggo is a product uh, that you can sprinkle around the base of your plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, diatomaceous earth is another great one. Uh, Dipole dust is something you can spray directly on the plants. And what di- diatomaceous earth is ground up material, mm-hmm. um, like ground up seashells or other hard material that when the creature slithers across it, if it's soft bodied enough or accidentally ingests it, it cuts them and it, and it kills them. I know that sounds kind of graphic, but that's what it does. And it's, and it's at least something natural you can put around your uh, stuff. But dipole dust is a specific uh, concentration of bacteria uh-huh. um, that targets specific insects, uh, primarily the larva form. So it's not a bacteria that's going to harm us, but it specifically targets the pests that are chewing on your plant. And it's in a dust form. It's in a bottle. And you can literally just puff it, um, you know, all over the, your plants, and that'll help drastically reduce the the amount of larvae that you might have chewing up your plants. By the way, Dipole Dust is playing at summer camp later this summer out at Three <laughs> Sisters Park. Yes. Great thing. Yeah, who are they opening for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, when when you open up your cabbage and it's got all that larva in there, what do they crawl in there? Yes. Okay. So what's what's happening? It's like is a bed form and a little like a, a Airbnb inside the cabbage. Because the way that the cabbage folds over it, itself, mm-hmm. it provides this perfect shielding cover mm-hmm. for 
a, a bug to go there, lay its eggs, yeah. and then the eggs hatch and they crawl right in through those little folding yeah. portions of the leaves of the cabbage and yeah. they get right in there and they're totally protected. Mm-hmm. It's dark, it's cool. Air there's, conditioning. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's no bugs, there's this it's rent free, just they got free room and board and it's all like the food a hotel. they can eat. Yeah. With that the, they don't have with, to pay for. Yeah, exactly. And there's a free buffet all day. Yeah, you yeah. bought them a a place to stay. <laughs> all they need is a little pool. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can have your beer next to yeah, the cabbage. Kill there we them. go. Yeah. <laughs> now does larvae and stuff, what else is this, it gets more of that cru, cru uh, what's that called? Cruciferous or the, the, the type of vegetable like cabbage thing oh, though. Yes. Uh, yeah. oh my gosh. Now the uh I'm wow. trying to think of the word, but yeah. There, there is a word. Yes, I know yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> I'm close. Um, I'm in the ballpark. But there, there are other, you know, like so things like kale um, uh, and other plants around that. Yes, they can all be damaged by the same pest. And now that you say this, now that I'm really kind of thinking about my my garden because I haven't looked, I didn't look at it yesterday um, or the day before, uh, just because we've had all the rain. I just kind of knew that I had, I didn't need to go there and, and yeah. manage too much. But I have had something chewing on my broccoli, and I haven't been able to figure out exactly what it is. But I'm getting holes in the middle of the leaves okay and so more often than not that's probably going to be a slug a snail and some caterpillars will eat from the internal portion of the leaf and between the veins okay so what do you do for that so with those uh when you're not seeing it during the day which is usually when i'm out there looking at my gardens when the sun's shining i don't see the bugs and that's because during the daytime more than likely a they don't want to cook um and also they're more visible by birds and other pests or other you know uh, predators that would eat them so more often than not they're either out early morning or late at night and i tend to not be in my vegetable garden at four o'clock five o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. um and i'm usually not out at eight o'clock nine o'clock at night so what you have to do what i recommend if you're noticing some holes in your leaves but you cannot find the pests spray at night like last thing you do six o'clock seven o'clock dusk essentially is the best time to spray uh dusk is is a time when the but the the predators start to kind of go away uh birds don't many types of birds don't see as well uh during the dusk hour and so bugs are starting to become more prevalent and we notice that when we sit outside we're starting to get stung by mosquitoes or whatever there's other bugs coming out too so at the end of your day spray your plants and then hopefully within the next couple of hours the the pests will come out and they'll interact with the insecticide that you sprayed okay now um i'm seeing those same little holes in some of my hosta mm. so is it the same type of thing it i'm i especially with the hosta i'm i would put money on it that it was uh, a slug or a snail potentially yeah. a um uh, a caterpillar mm-hmm. if you're noticing holes on the outside of the leaf yeah um so like where no the, it's in the middle so yeah in the middle it's probably slug snail or caterpillar okay. uh, more after that there are some beetles that'll do that too mm-hmm. um there, uh, but uh, yeah, it's going to be one of those bugs. And, and if you're not seeing it, check the underside of the leaf. Yeah, Beetles will hide. Never on the, find it. But yep. Yeah, yeah. The slugs and the snails they'll go back toward the base of the plant. Okay. Um, or if you have mulch, they'll kind of hide underneath the mulch to stay moist. Yeah. Um, caterpillars usually find their way towards the center of the plant, and beetles sometimes hide underneath the leaf okay. during the heat of the day. And what do you spray it with again? So there's multiple things. There's a, As far as a, for the vegetable garden, I like to use a product called Triple Action. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, it's an organic product, but it works. There's some organic products on the line that I, I wouldn't feel comfortable endorsing. 
Um, I just don't feel like they work. It's just like salad dressing for yeah. your for your uh, for the insects. But this particular product uh, is derived of pyrethrin and neem oil. And pyrethrin comes from the chrysanthemum plants. It's a very effective, uh, very effective insecticide. And then neem oil on top of that also has some insecticidal properties. Also has mild fungicidal properties too. So you're kind of tackling a bunch of issues with this one product triple action but then it, you know for other plants if you're not worried about eating them uh you can use products like seven um or uh or there's um oh gosh there's a the seven's the, the first thing that's coming to my to my brain but uh, uh there's a number of insecticides that you can use but you like using the organic because you're going to eat in your garden so yeah exactly. exactly now is that like uh when you use deer be gone you got to spray it again as soon as it rains there's very few if i can't think of a single one right now at the top of my head that's a preventative insecticide yeah almost every insecticide especially ones that you're going to buy over the counter um at any store are going to be contact kill only mm -hmm. so you're not it's not beneficial to just spray your plant whenever when you're not seeing insects on it mm -hmm. because you're just putting a chemical on your plant that's doing absolutely nothing now do you have to take the all the leaves back in the hosta and especially spray under it i think that's I think that's the best way to go. If you're going to take a lot of hosta, that's a lot of spray. I recommend getting like a little stake or a stick or something like that. That way you're not having to constantly bend over. Yeah. Um, although I, I, I probably should. I need to lose. I should probably bend over more often <laughs> um, to, to practice on touching my toes. But anyway, if that's not what you want to do and you're like, oh, I have a whole row of hostas. I don't want to have to. Just, I recommend just get a rake. Push the leaves back yeah. and just spray underneath it. Yeah. Minimal, minimal exercise, uh, but you could tackle a lot of space. But... I got about forty hostas. So. Oh, Dan, yeah. oh. you're going to have to get the kids out, some neighbors, <laughs> put a five dollar sign, you know, grill. Just make it, yeah, just make it a day. <laughs> Offer them some cheap beer. Yeah. Who's ever helping you? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to put this out to catch some slugs, but you guys can have this. You know, so Julia Bradley comes in, and I want, and I want to go over this. Uh, she, just before we started, she goes, hey, I got hydrangea, and yeah. the pink's not really turning. I'm mm -hmm. supposed to add something to it. Do I do it now, or is that a spring and fall thing? That's a good question that we need to keep going over. It was, yes. So mm -hmm. with hydrangeas, especially macrophylla hydrangeas, or sometimes just referred to as big leaf hydrangeas, those are the color-changing ones. Circular blooms, pink, purple, or blue flowers usually. So not to mm -hmm. be confused with an Annabelle. Which that is has like the a, big white one. The big white one. The and there big are, puffy ball. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some pink um, uh, varieties of, of uh, smooth hydrangeas too, which is what the Annabelle is. So... But those have smaller flowers. So big flowers, big round balls tend to be your macrophyllas. And those, more often than not, are the color-changing varieties. Okay. To keep them pink, you need to have uh, alkaline soil. To keep them uh, blue or purple, you need to have acidic soil. And that's what she was asking about. Her hydrangeas are pink now. Yeah. And she wants them to be blue or purple. So she she was curious as to whether or not she could put acidifying stuff on in her soil now to which I, I told her, yes, uh, if it's iron sulfate or if it's uh, sulfur of any sort, you can absolutely put those on now. If it's something like moracid, which is the horticulture or which is the miracle grow version of an acid loving fertilizer, be cautious. I recommend maybe in the heat uh, cutting that recipe or the, the recommendation in half and applying that. Uh, if it's another type of fertilizer like Hollytone, which is a low intensity fertilizer but has sulfur, you can also apply that now too. So if it's moracid, I, I would say, hey, 
cut the recipe in half. Anything else that's sulfur-related or acid-related, you could still apply right now. Now, you did caution her we're right at the end of the window. Because uh, is there a temperature cutoff, like at 95, 100, don't even do anything? Yeah, yeah. Once it gets up to that high, if, you can, if you're standing outside and in five minutes you are drenched, yeah. you already have sweats drowned down your back, yeah. don't fertilize your plants. Um, now, I'm not to say that all that fertilizer, like if you fertilize your plants, it's going to go completely to waste. Your plant's going to absorb some of it. But when it's that hot, they just give them water. And, and let them get the food that they're going to create from photosynthesizing. Can granulars turn color, make them turn colors? Or So, so like the granular um, type of fertilizers and yeah. such? Yes, yes. I mean, now those are more slow moving, but yes. you won't burn them out. Yes. So if you are going to fertilize, say you forgot your May or June window, mm-hmm. it's still not terrible to apply fertilizer down uh, but I, I this is once again my opinion but I would recommend using something like Osmocote or a holly tone or something granular water it in really really well and you want to incorporate it into your soil don't just top dress the yeah. soil you want to work it into the top inch or so well I left a note on my hydrangea for the deer that said hydrangea seriously come on <laughs> A lot of listeners that we've been running across that for was nursery. Sunday. Was it Sunday? Last Sunday. Yeah, and, and talked to somebody who gave us, what, some seeds? Yeah, so that was uh, that was Bob uh, and Judy, um, uh, Arnett, I believe. So Bob and Judy, and uh, they came in uh, a few days ago, last week actually, and they come in and they, they asked for me and they totally stumped me. Yeah. They said, what is this? Or have you heard of this? I can't remember exactly the question. And I had no idea. And it was a hyacinth bean vine. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what is it? Is it a hyacinth or is it a bean? Yeah. Um, and and in, a, in a way, they're kind of, like, you tell me, um, sort of mentality. I was like, well, shoot, you have stumped me. I am not familiar with this plant at all. They said they had gotten it in Oklahoma um, or Tennessee. Tennessee, I believe, is where they said they, they had had it. And uh, well, anyway, uh, I did some research on it, and it seems like a really fun plant. So they they came in. Is it a high? Day. Is it a hyacinth or is it a bean? It's a bean. So it's 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 called hyacinth bean because of the purpley pink flower spike that it produces. Uh-huh. Um, that's when you look at just in now. It's not going to get a cluster of of uh, blooms like a hyacinth spike normally would, but it gets a, a you know more a little more narrow. But the individual flower, if you pulled that off of the hyacinth bean and you pulled an individual flower off of the hyacinth plant they look very similar Uh um, and they have somewhat of a similar color it's a fast growing plant it is an annual but it can reseed itself Uh or you can harvest the seeds okay i'm suspicious it's from tennessee i have a feeling you could take those beans and somehow smash them ferment them and make moonshine there we go i i'm sure that there's a way that's what they did They were peddling moonshine yeah. ingredients. Oh, my. Bob and Judy, if you're listening, shame on you guys. They didn't know. <laughs> it's Tennessee. They can make moonshine out of anything. So, But I am very excited about it. And they, so the instructions were to soak the beans, um, the seeds, uh-huh. for 24 hours. Yep. And then the plantum, when I was doing some research online, it says the plantum uh, between April and June. So we're right on the end. I think we could still get away with planting them. Um, because and you're going to experiment and see what it is? Absolutely. It's yeah. a fast-growing 
planting plants. I'm sure that even planting it now this week, uh, yeah. today, um, mm-hmm. that there would be several feet of growth. I mean, they told me theirs grow six, seven, eight feet a year. What do they put it on, like a trellis or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They showed me um, multiple pictures. It's just yeah. a beautiful, interesting plant that I was completely oblivious to until they shared it And they're it with really me. unique little seeds. Yeah, they're just yeah, a cool looking like a, seed. Yeah. Blackish brown with yeah. a white margin around the end of it. It's yeah. just kind of fun to look at. All right, we gave you an assignment, uh, outdoors, indoors, what to grow in your garden for great cut plants to put in vases. I, I take my hydrangeas, oh, yeah. and I'll put them in a short vase with some water, and then when it dries out, the bulb dries out, mm-hmm. but it still looks fantastic, and you can have it in there all winter. Especially if it's a, the blue or purple one. Yes. When it dries out, that color gets even darker. Wow. It's really nice looking. Yeah. We uh, At our Evergreen Hut, there's uh, one of our horticulturists, Rebecca, she really likes to uh, cut the the hydrangea flowers you know she's not like murdering all our hydrangeas like where's mm-hmm. the flowers oh they're in this vase but every once in a while she'll put she'll uh, pluck a few of them and put them in a vase out there and they're mm-hmm. just so beautiful mm-hmm. they look really nice yeah but yeah we got some we i brought some flowers into the studio today because it's just nice to look at them let's start off with the lavender because those are purple and just very unique round perfectly round flowers i love the lavender oh this oh you, yeah. uh, that one uh, that's a hollyhock oh that's a hollyhock that one's hollyhock okay. um so so this one, um, the hollyhock here is in the um, the Malvaceae family. So this is related to hibiscus. Okay. So this is a plant that could attract Japanese beetles, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so be wary of that. But my gosh, it's gorgeous. Three-inch purple flowers on this particular species. The yeah. one that I brought in is is from the Halo series. And oh, oh, I see. It's called lavender. Yeah. So, okay. Yes, I saw <laughs> the that. Name right. of the of the of the uh, the color is is lavender hollyhock, mm-hmm. and it is just. It's stunning. Three feet. And look at all those flowers are going to pop. I mean, that has a lot of flowers on it. Yes. A a really healthy hollyhock is going to have strong, straight stems, Mm -hmm. two, three feet, four feet tall, with multiple flowers on each stem. Um, And they tend to flower from the bottom of that stem and then work their way up to the top of the stem. So what's great about them, why they make a good cut flower, is that strong, sturdy stem. You can Mm -hmm. cut that off, put it in water, hibiscus, and anything in the hibiscus family, um, for the most part part likes water and can tolerate being in a vase um, for a little bit. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You could take this, cut that flower, and it's just it'd be a way to save it. If you start to notice the Japanese beetles are coming after it, yeah. just, you know, at, at that point, cut the flowers off, bring them inside so you can enjoy them. Yeah. Or, but you can, to prevent Japanese uh, uh, beetles, that's where you put your nematodes in early in the year yes so get your nematodes all in. around that okay yep now um boy i love those flowers so they get about three feet tall now is that sun is it part sun shade more the most sun um the better so this yeah. particular plant's uh full sun um and uh it can tolerate moist or wet conditions. That's what's nice about this. So hardy hibiscus and hollyhock can tolerate wetter areas, which is kind of important. It's relevant on the nose as mm-hmm. far as how much rain we've gotten recently. Mm-hmm. Don't have it in standing water, but any area that tends to uh, tends to stay a little bit wetter than average you could plant this uh, a hollyhock, and it would be very, very happy. Okay. And this particular species, the lavender one, um, yeah, oh my gosh, it can get five to six feet tall. Yeah. So you're going to have some serious stems oh, that you can use right. to cut and put into a vase. This would be great for like putting in the center of the vase and then putting smaller plants around it. This would be your height, mm-hmm. so to say. 
All right, and then this is right here. So this one I brought in. This is the only um, annual that I brought in. Everything else are, are perennials, but this is a black-eyed Susan, um, and there are black-eyed Susans that are definite perennials in the area. They Their, their root system survives, and then there are black-eyed Susans that tend to not be extremely hardy this far north like if we lived in missouri or tennessee they'd probably be perennials this far north they're not reliable as a perennial but they have a potential of overseeding themselves and in fact uh i bought three of them last year i loved the, the amount of color and the gigantic flowers that i got on them uh and i had one that overseeded itself now the black eye susans you can get around here that are perennials if i correct me if i'm wrong i don't think their flowers get as big as this one they do that's not. what i do like like about this one. Yes. That's yeah. A, a, a traditional um, Rudbeckia or black-eyed Susan probably has a two-inch flower or so. Mm -hmm. That's a perennial. And the annual ones, I mean, that's that's a four-inch. Uh, some of them push a five-inch flower. So it's almost, it's more of like a sunflower mm -hmm. uh, flower to it. And this right here? So this one is actually called, this is a false sunflower. And false sunflower tends to be yellow. Um, so just like uh, many of your black-eyed Susans have a yellow coloration to them. So the false sunflower, yellow, you can find them uh, a full yellow flower. You can get them a yellow flower with a black or a brown center. And false sunflower or heliopsis um, can get anywhere, depending on the species that you bought, a foot and a half tall, upwards of four feet tall. Mm -hmm. uh, full sun is best for them, but they just prolifically produce flowers all summer long. And you can see on the stem that I brought in here, uh, if you if you look at that, so there's... Uh, not just the main flower right up here at the top of the stem, right. but then right here at this cluster of leaf, there's and two then more below flowers that, and below more. that. Yeah. So they just produce an, uh, it's almost like this never-ending production of flowers. It's a wonderful plant. Even if you're not into cutting flowers and bringing them inside, it's just beautiful in your garden. It's very hardy. Um, it just can it can tolerate so many different conditions. But they can once they get bigger, especially the bigger. Now, if you got a 18 inch uh, variety, you're probably not going to have too many good stems to bring in to cut. But if you got a three, four foot variety, you're going to have some nice stems to cut off and, and, and bring And what inside. does that do well in? Um, so this will do well in dry areas or average moist areas. Sun. Just, Sun, the best. Full sun would be the best thing for a black-eyed, or a, I'm sorry, the false sunflower. But it could tolerate part shade. I would say at least five hours of sun if, if, you, could, if you could give it that. That would make it happy. I heard uh, you talk one day about a dwarf sunflower. Yes. Um, the dwarf sunflowers, uh, in fact, one of them is, is actually that you, you and Greg had come out uh, last year and we had promoted the Sun Believable. Mm -hmm. And that was that sunflower that could get upwards of a thousand flowers on it in a wow. season. And we still have Sun Believable. We also have Sun Credible. You're splitting peas between the two of them. One of them <laughs> comes from a different vendor, and another one comes from a different vendor. So they they have their own trademark name. It's the same plant yeah. with a different trademarked name. Annual, perennial? Annual. Okay. Um, so both of those. But if you're looking for that, that oh gosh, that unstoppable yellow uh, flower color, mm -hmm. sunflowers are always great. So, yeah, look for Sunbelievable or Suncredible. It's not going to get overwhelmingly big. I planted one last year. It got maybe four feet wide, three feet tall, mm -hmm. but it's just never-ending uh, flowers. It was in full sun, but it was in an area that can get kind of dry. Mm -hmm. um, I would wait to water it until I noticed that the leaves were getting a little bit sad and, and kind of hanging down. Um, but other than that, I didn't really have to do much to it. That yeah. was really nice about that plant. Mm -hmm. 
and this one. And they've got the cone flower. If we're going to talk about cut flowers, I had to bring in cone flower mm-hmm. um, and, uh, or echinacea. And cone flower is just, gosh, I mean, it's, I feel like if you have a sun garden that's you know, a little bit, uh, or you have a, a sun garden that you've, you've kind of planted and trained to be a little bit more drought tolerant, Coneflower. Mm-hmm. If you want to attract pollinators, coneflower. You want cut flowers, coneflower. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just one of those staple sun plants. And there's so many fun colors now. There, uh, you know, it used to kind of just be purple and yellows and whites. And from there, there's oranges and pinks and reds. There's reds with dark centers. There's entirely full reds. There's, it. There's so many different. We have a whole table mm-hmm. um, of just coneflowers. And you can pour, put those in this weekend, and they'll go all the way through to fall. Absolutely. That's what's so great about them, too, is they're going to bloom throughout the summer. They'll bloom into fall. Some of them can even bloom until it starts to frost. Um, They're very hardy plants. I will say that there are some species that tend to be a little bit hardier than others, um, and those are going to be your true to seed form, essentially your heirloom varieties. That's uh, quite uh, quite regularly a purple coneflower. Some of the reds and oranges are bred from tissue culture, but they can still be very hardy too. So I don't want people to think that you know they're potentially going to be getting a coneflower that's that's kind of weak. So the coneflower shape, though, it has well, you can see why it's good for pollinators at the top. What are the? I'm trying to think. What are the plants that people put next to their mailbox that absolutely that are a real cone shape? What would that be? Um, I'm wondering if it might be, uh, well, next to their mailbox, like vining up the mailbox? No, they're just tall, but it has the shape of a cone. Oh, oh it um, comes all the way down. It's usually like a purplish. And it kind of, that sounds like a foxglove. Yeah, maybe. Um, so foxglove or digitalis mm-hmm. um, would be the, the one for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do long spikes. Yep. And then these like, like bells. Like a spike at the top. Uh, and then yeah. like these bells that kind of like have a downward yeah. angle to them. Purple, sometimes a yellow into a purple. Yeah, foxglove um, is that particular plant. And, uh, and some have this shape. And with the, and flowers growing out it. And it's a long stem, and it has over the top, it's very long, and it's about this high, and it has that kind of shape with flowers coming out of that. So I always wonder what that oh is. I'll have, to, I'll have to show you a picture of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, other things. Flox. Oh, Flox is a wonderful one. So, yeah, I put a list together. Uh, of course, we just talked to you. You had just purchased some Flox. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about hydrangeas. Hydrangeas also make a wonderful cut flower. They do. Um, roses, of course. So I feel like I'm kind of uh, uh, that's an easy cop out there saying, "Oh yeah, you can cut your roses and put them in the um, <laughs> in, in a vase." But Are some really better well. than others, though? I Longer think so. stems, yeah. yeah Long so stem rose. Your shrub roses, you can get some long stems off of them enough mm-hmm. to uh, to maybe make it work in a vase. Mm-hmm. Uh, shrub roses also tend to have clusters of flowers at the end of a stem, mm-hmm. and depending on how big of a, but they have a thinner stem, so a large cluster of flowers potentially, but a thinner stem, and so it just kind of depends. You have to pick the right stem, or else you're going to bring it inside and it's just going to flop over. Mm-hmm. But there are other roses like hybrid tea roses, mm-hmm. certain David Austin roses. Those not only are they fragrant. No, oh, those but, David Austin oh roses. The, I like the yellow ones. Oh yeah, yeah. such a deep sugary, uh, yeah. yeah, smell to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those would make wonderful additions to any sort of uh, bouquet or vase that you're putting together inside. Asiatic lilies. Yeah, what is it? I that? almost brought one in mm-hmm. to the studio today to take a look at them, mm-hmm. and uh, because they're gorgeous right now, mm-hmm. big 
five, six inch flowers, pink, white, yellow. Mine are just getting ready to bloom. I have deep purple ones and my yellow ones are starting to open up now too. And they're wonderful. Big, tall, long, sturdy stems. Some of them have a nice fragrance to them. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. They're short lived. Um, so they don't last a whole lot in your garden, but you know, they produce so prolifically that you can usually still have plenty of color outside, snip off a quarter of them and bring them inside. And daylilies also are another one to add into your uh, regular Asiatic or, or uh, uh, varieties of lilies. A stilby? A stilby um, is blooming usually June, July right now. It's a shade-loving plant, um, but these really nice fluffy clusters of flowers, fluffy spikes that add an interesting um, texture to any sort of dried arrangement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anything in the mint family, which includes... This Russian sage, yeah, yeah. I brought Russian sage in sturdy, strong, long um, stems of purple flowers. So yeah, anything in the mint family is great for cutting, and they bloom all summer long. So it's not like you have limited flowers to choose from. You're going to have flowers that pop off right after you snip some off. Now, is that Russian sage edible? Um, no. Well, I mean, I guess... I'm sure it's it is. in the sage family, it's, but it's probably not what you would call optimum sage. I wouldn't cook with it. Yeah. If I absolutely <laughs> had to and I was really hungry, I might have some, but I would be worried about the after effects. Ligularia? <laughs> um, yeah. you. Um, that's one of the ones I think you bought that right. last year. Mm-hmm. Has yours started to flower yet? The big yellow yeah, spikes? Yeah. So that's why I like it. It's A, it's a shade-loving plant. It gets big. It's fast-growing. It can get four feet wide, five feet Mine tall. Mine is in morning sun, about three hours. Perfect. Yeah. And they can get really tall, yep. long, mm-hmm. yellow flower spikes, mm-hmm. which would just add a really interesting pop to any, any vase. Yeah. All right, we got about a minute left. Uh, hours no longer on Sundays now, no. but the Hardy Bucks kick in, right? So right now, so we're done with Hardy Bucks, so there's no more Hardy Bucks to be earned. Mm-hmm. Um, those ended on the 30th. Uh, but you can start to spend them July 15th, so just a few more days, yep. and you can start spending your Hardy Bucks. Mm-hmm. And we're still open 8 to 6, Monday through Saturday, but yeah, no more Sundays, no more Hardy Bucks to be earned, but pretty soon you'll be able to spend them. Yep, and there's still a lot to do. We'll talk about maybe building a stone garden. Uh, maybe next week. Yes. Also, water ponds and what you can plant around lakes. And I know a lot of people have ravines and stuff. What can I do for erosion? So maybe yeah. we'll do some of that as well next Excellent week. Excellent topics. All right. All right that's, uh, we'll see you next Saturday at 7 o'clock. Hope you enjoyed it. And say hi to who, Bob and... Bob, Bob and Judy, thank All you right. so much for the plants. <laughs> I right, talk to you next Sunday at 7. For Ethan Wise, I'm Dan DiOrio. Thanks for listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery on WMBD.